Oh my goodness. Happy Culture Cast Day. And welcome, my dear friend, John Spears. How the heck are you? I am doing so well. And one, I love this intro music. And I love <laughs> that we both started like just bopping our heads when it started. <laughs> you know, I keep saying to myself, oh, I'm not going to dance to this music. But I don't know if anyone caught up with um, the last conversation I had with Tia Carrer. And we happen to be sitting side by side. And this is new music. It is um, a dear, dear family friend, Ramilia. Julius Wilder, thank you, who put this together and I think got my essence and my vibe, right? Like, yeah. how can I not move to this music, right? I, I, yeah, totally. I think your essence was very much captured in this. Yeah. So um, anyway, thank you. And, and if Julius, if you're hearing or watching, thank you, thank you, thank you. We, we love it. And um, I think too, John, it matches your vibe. And I think the mm. conversations that I know you and I have had one-on-one, -on -one, but hopefully now with a broader audience who I know are tuning in live. And I see that there's already a comment out here, Nicole Chase, who um, is a, an amazing human being herself. But props to you, John, for joining. And can I say happy Pride Month? Happy, happy Pride. Pride. OMG. So, I, um, yeah. Yeah, right. So I think just really quickly, everyone, the reason why I love doing this culture cast, it is about how do you as a leader, as a human being, Create an environment where you can thrive, where the others around you can thrive, family, friends, teammates, if you're in the workplace. And in talking with friends and leaders from across industries, you know, what can we learn from their experience, um, lessons learned, to help us take some good nuggets on how to become just better culture creators? So that's why we're talking. Awesome. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. Well, John, um, you have quite the resume. I, I will admit to everyone who's watching, when I first met you and when I learned, I'm like, oh, this dude's like the COO of the One Campaign. I mean, come on. That is insane. And, I, and then, I mean, your resume, um, not that I didn't stalk you. I did after <laughs> that. But, you know, your resume with USAID and then the U.S. Small Business Association, or organizing for America, you worked on the Obama campaign, and on and on and on. But then beyond that, um, beyond that, oh, Jeffrey, happy pride, Jeffrey. Oh, my God. So um, beyond that, I think it's just your journey to how you got there. And I'd love to just start there. So if we can just, I can be quiet. You talk about, like, who is John? Okay. But then what happened in your life that led you to this path? of just doing good and creating dignity for everyone in the world. Um, Marisa, one, I'm so glad to be here. Yes, definitely a pride shout out to all you uh, LGBTQIA folks and allies. Really amazing month to really celebrate who we are and just the authenticity that comes along with that. Um, you, I remember you asked me this question last time that we talked or the first time that we connected. And I was like, whoa, who is John Spears? And I kinda, I think I felt like I had talked for like 30 minutes about all these experiences that, yeah. that really impacted me in my life. But I think from an early age, I think one of the really defining moments for my life that really propelled me to be the person I am in terms of wanting to make an impact and do good in the world, and also kind of like the challenges that I've had to work through, kind of small T traumas, is my, my parents got divorced when I was two years old. And my dad basically was like, I'm out when I was eight. And 
that experience of, you know, being an eight-year-old and your yeah. dad saying, call me when you're 18, I can't deal with your mom, which is was what happened, um, was really impactful for me, you know, and I don't think I realized that until I was probably in my early 20s, but I always felt this this desire to like do good in the world, to yeah. be good in the world. Um, and so all my life, my entire career, even though it's very circular and it's non-linear, right. has been about making an impact. So I, I went to school, I studied theology and religion undergrad. I took on a whim, I moved to DC to work for this social justice organization, an anti-trafficking organization and focused in, in Asia, South Asia and East Asia. And kind of from there went on to an organizing job. I worked for the Obama campaign, like you said, yeah. I was the state director in two states for organizing for America, which is really this continuation of the Obama campaign, helping to organize around the president's legislative agenda and took on a whim, not, uh, again, like, hey, I want to try government. I want to do something yeah. I've never done before. And I got this job at the U.S. Small Business Administration. Um, I was a religion major, and I did organizing, and I was got a job as a senior advisor for policy for government contracting, which is like rules and regulations. And frankly, if there are any contracting folks out there, I'm sorry, really <laughs> boring, kind of dense stuff uh, yeah. to follow. But it was an incredible experience and I learned so much. And that opportunity, understanding how government works, led me to be a senior advisor at the U.S. Small Business Administration, which then opened a door to be the chief of staff first at the one campaign and now the COO. And throughout all that, I, I got a, a certificate in coaching. I'm a certified professional coach as well. And I think if, if we're thinking about like threads that I see in my yeah. life, I have always been someone that said yes uh, and someone that was really curious and wanting to learn. Look, I don't, I don't think I'm the smartest person in the world. I didn't go to the best schools. I didn't get the best GPA, but I'm really hungry to learn and in the work that it takes to get there, which is why I was successful in government doing stuff I had never done before. And that kind of attitude and perspective, I think has really propelled me you know, I think objectively, I'm a pretty successful guy. And yeah. that kind of that has really helped saying yes, and being curious and putting in the work has driven me to, to be where I am today. I, I love that. And I remember this conversation that we had. And I agree with you. I think success does not come linearly. I think how you have described your experience, you know, so thank you for being so vulnerable about like your childhood experience and yeah. how that yeah. kind of, um, inspired you just to create impact right and to actually take care of others i'm feeling that too from you like mm -hmm. you know that might have been the sitch but then it's this whole that's your experience and maybe you don't want that feeling i'll just say that feeling your dad said deuces right that <laughs> feeling of pretty much right um <laughs> sorry but look the, th the funny thing is like not the funny thing the good thing is Look, I've done the work. Yeah, I've been in therapy. <laughs> I've done a lot of that yeah. inner work, and I can I can laugh with you about that now. Like to, for my dad to say deuces, <laughs> right. like I'm 42, I'll be 40 yeah. this year. I can. I, there's some levity in it. It's not as heavy as it used to be, and I think you're totally right, Marisa. Like, I want to be love in the world. I know that yeah. sounds super cheesy and like woo woo, it's but not. like I I really believe, and we were just talking about this before. Yes. Like, what you put out there is what you get. And yeah. I got a lot of kind of heavy stuff when I was a kid. And I want to be someone for my own kids. I have two kids. And for the people in my life, 
but there's love and light and joy. And I was also a Boy Scout. And uh, I think there was a, a phrase that we said that was always leave something, leave people, places and things better than you found them. And that's Absolutely. really a mantra that I like live by to this day. Well, I think just that collective of your perspective, personally, professionally, this curiosity, always saying, yes, I think we have that in common. And if I think about um, the definition as I think about diversity and why it's really important, I think about your diverse experience of like being open to learning and gaining different perspectives, whether they match yours or not. You know, I was, you and I were talking about this. I was at the SHRM conference for those of you who are not human resources professionals, Society for Human Resources Management. It's a big annual conference this week and President Clinton was one of the speakers. And I was actually so moved by kind of the end where he got so passionate about inclusion and mm -hmm. diversity and how there's still not enough of that in corporate America. And he said the statement, he said, you know, um, you get a lot more done when there's diversity. And then he talked about experiences, backgrounds, races, gender, you know, et cetera, et cetera, in terms of like solving for problems in the world and in business. He goes, versus homogeneous kind of groups. And yeah. I also think that for human beings, like as an mm -hmm. individual, right? Um, and then the other thing, which I know why you and I were just like, oh, can you be my BFF when we first met? <laughs> this whole goodness, and actually I think this mm -hmm. is uh, Jeffrey putting this out there, you get what you give and we need to spread that, you know? And so I'm a big believer in karma in a mm -hmm. good way, right? Put that goodness out there. and. And um, really just to help other people, and it's not in return, hopefully you'll get something. I think right. it's just goodwill and good energy and good spirits, you know, in the world. So I think that's why um, I, I resonated with you so much. And then, oh my gosh, Edna, I think I see a, a, a comment from her. Also, good people, she's been on this conversation. And I wanted to reflect on you too. I think it takes leadership especially to go in and work in, in a government agency, especially if you didn't have that background, but it just takes good leadership and good energy to be successful at doing that. And if you were to meet Edna IRL, I mean, she is that too. And so no, no surprise that here you are now landing in the one campaign and yet you're the COO. And so I think you told me the story behind that too. It's not by design. It's kind of like you popped in there and then tell me how that happened. Yeah. Okay. So um, I, when I was a senior advisor at USAID, which is the U.S. government's development agency, they give money, we give money, or they give money, the government gives money to other countries to run programs to basically lift people and countries out of poverty. I was a senior advisor for management operations, the Asia region, and then LGBTQ issues. So a lot of different things yes. uh, for our CEO or for our administrator at the time, Gail Smith, who's now my boss. Um, when she moved over after the Obama administration, I got in as her chief of staff and so worked really closely with her. And because of my operations experience, there was a, a vacancy in the COO role. And so I took an acting role for maybe yeah. four or five months did that for a little bit, which I loved. I'm, I'm way more operational. I really care about people and culture and creating an environment where people can thrive and have the yes. capabilities to thrive. And I also like to get stuff done. I'm, I think I'm really good at like 
seeing a vision for the future and like executing on it. And so basically kind of what you need as a, as a good COO. And so I went back, I reverted back to my chief of staff role for another probably two, two and a half years. And then the opportunity came up to uh, take that role again in an acting position. And I was like, I'll do it. Like, I I really wanted to try it. I wanted, I was at my job for probably four, four years or so, four and a half years and felt I kind of had reached my kind of the ceiling of that role. And I just put my hand up and say, yeah, I'd love to do this. I'd love to give it a shot. Even if it's just an interim, I'd love to be able to do that. And so I got the opportunity and it went really well. And they offered me the role. And it's been one of the greatest joys of my life to be able to be in this role, working with people that I really adore um, and doing good work. I mean, I think yeah. that's, I, I have a lot of meaning and fulfillment in my day job and also in my executive coaching stuff that I do on the side. But I think to be able to be a part of a team, I, I, one of the things I, I really was really important to me um, more recently in my career, I think in, the, in my early career, I was like, I just want to get a job and do something cool and interesting. Yeah. But in this latter part of my career, I'm really, I want to be in a place where like I'm aligned with their values. Yes. I like the people I'm working with. Uh, there isn't a question of like, are we, are we not aligned or do we have different viewpoints on things that are, that are way off, right? Like diversity and thought and perspective and opinion is so important, but on like the really important things, got to make sure we're aligned on it. And I feel like I have that and it's been really incredible to, to, to be able to be there. I think it's amazing. I think there's some really great lessons too, which I agree with you on. I think about, um, first of all, this whole raising your hand and taking the acting role, going back to your role again, and then raising your hand again, and then you were formally put into the role. And again, I was um, in a breakout group with women, you know, this week at the SHRM. And we were talking about um, this one woman, she's the acting chief HR officer, and she's been that way, she said, for nine months. And, um, and she goes, and I don't know, like, if they're going to hire someone or not. But I felt like, wow, that's a really long time. And the new mm-hmm. CEO is coming on board and she just kind of did one of those, I don't know if I'm ready. And then went on and on and the whole, like, I'm learning this, I'm learning that. I'm like, here's the good news, you're learning. But don't count yourself out, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, if they're still asking you to do this and then the new CEO is coming in, get in there. That's all I can say. And, like, don't be afraid that you are learning. Let people know that because they will help you. Yeah. Um, I think the second thing, too, that you talk about is it's, I, I hear you, like, at some point it's not about, and then it can be. I think you're right. There's a, uh, a early in career, mid-career, later in career, right? Where it's all about status, title, whatever, right? But then mm-hmm. at some point, you know, I think you provide some good coaching. And I agree with you that at whatever you're doing and wherever you're going, think about your own personal values. And do they align with the values of those leaders and team members that you're working with? And for the company, you know, I mean... It's clear to me, you know, your personal value, and I know we talked about this already in the intro, about creating goodness in the world and Mm -hmm. making an impact in others and helping elevate people. And not a surprise that here you are at the one (laughs) campaign, you know. And so I think that's an important lesson, too, that people should think about. Um, Does it also align with this company or organization or group of people that you're choosing to spend a lot of time with? Is totally. their values and purpose alignment, which I think is actually so much more real and um, visible now post COVID. I know COVID's yep. officially over, but like, 
you know, people now have the choice. I know that there's a lot of efficiency going on around the world and in industries, but it, it's like where companies and people need to get real and clear is like, okay, aside from making money, which is what all for-profit companies do, mm -hmm. you know, and not-for-profit, it is about um, raising money to take care of that cause. But then I think life is easier if you just bring people along who want to be yeah. part of it because they believe that too, right? Totally, totally, totally. I, I think there are two things. One is one of my personal values is play and fun. Okay. I want to have fun. And like we have one life to live, y'all. Like this yeah. is it. I want to have fun. I want to be in a type of organization that even when we're doing hard things and deal making hard decisions, that the heaviness and the burden of that doesn't yeah. skew our perspective. It doesn't get in the way. Because um, life is challenging. Like there's a lot of hard stuff that's going on. I was talking to a friend the other day about sort of the, our own kind of how the pace of change and the, and the number of things that are happening in our world that just create a lot of anxiety or, or, or kind of uncertainty for people. And for me, I, I'm someone, I want to have fun. I want to have fun in the hard times. I want to have fun in the good times. And in, in my work, to your point, I'm doing that most of my day. I'm doing that yeah. at least eight hours of my day on Zoom calls with people all over the world. And if I'm not having fun doing that, I'm not going to show up for my kids the way that, that right. they need me to be. I'm not going to show up for myself. I'm not going to show up for my partner. And I'm not going to show up for the people that, that I'm working with. And so I found that when I am not, when I'm in an environment that is not aligned with my values, it's a total energy drain. Yep. It sucks my energy. I have, like, I'm exhausted at the end of the day when I'm with people that do that, organizations, whatever. And so being in alignment, I think, is like the number one thing for me yeah. these days. And, and you said something about this, this woman in the breakout room uh, group about how she's been there for nine months and she was like, I'm not sure I'm ready. I have that. This is the good news and bad news. Yeah. The, the, the bad, the good news is like everyone feels that way. <laughs> and Marisa, I don't know if you feel this way, but Always. I wake up every morning being like, I have no clue what I'm doing today. Like <laughs> I have, I have this, I have this new challenge and I'm like, okay, what, how are we going to solve it? How are we going to do this? What's our, how do we align with our guiding principles or our values? And I think I've learned as I've gotten these opportunities to be in positions that I never, I mean, I, my mom didn't go to college. She worked, she was a, worked in a, as a hygienist or in a or dental office. She cleaned houses on the side. There was no, I never thought I'd meet the president of the United States. I never thought I'd meet rock stars or the people that I've been in rooms with. And so every day I feel like I am way out of my league. Like there's, there's something that does not belong here and it's, and it's me. And I think the more I've been in those situations and the more I felt out of my comfort zone, the more I've had to trust myself and to like know that I have the skills and the tools and the resources to be successful. So whoever that was, I just want to let you know, like, welcome to the club because it doesn't, <laughs> right. it doesn't change. <laughs> yeah, I think it doesn't change. And um, I know I, uh, we refer to this as imposter syndrome. Yeah. Sometimes like I'm in this room and I'm, you know, having these meetings with people that you don't think that you would even be having meetings with, you know, whatever, like whatever the topic is. And, you know, I agree with you and you're right. Um, I, what I love what you just said, though, is I think it's another great trait, which is your humili humility, mm. right? So I think about like all the exposure you've had to many people 
And like, um, I'm sure someone on the outside would be looking at your, your life going, wow, you're like interacting with this rock star, right? I know who you're talking about. He's looking <laughs> for the president. Um, you know them, you know, and, and that's part of your world and your life. And the fact that, you know, you're still like, wow, do I belong here? And the reality is you do. But I think it's that the difference between humility and hubris you know, mm -hmm. they, they start out the same way. Hubris right. is very different. Yeah. And I think that also takes away from, I think, that goodness and the impact and the energy that you're talking about in the world. And so um, I want to point that out, though, the way you talk mm. about that. I'm like, dude, your humility is amazing. You know, and I think Thanks. that's also a trait of a good leader, right? Yeah. I mean, the fact that you're just committed to your values and your purpose. And by the way, I love the play one. I, I'm I'm similar in that um, I think everything I've ever walked into is always chaos, right? <laughs> and there's always like, all right, a lot of problems to solve, right? And it's just about prioritizing which one's the most important one at the time, you know, to solve. And when team members or leaders that I work with are like, oh, this is really hard. I don't know if we're gonna be able to do this, et cetera. Yeah, it could be a downer if you go down that I don't know path either. Versus, I always call it a party yeah. where I go, well, then it's a party. You know, we're all here. Let's figure this out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think when you have that optimism, which is kind of what I feel when you're talking about being playful, even in, when times really suck or it's totally. a really hard thing to do, I think that optimism uh, is inspiring, right? Mm -hmm. For people to go, you know what? I'm looking at my leader, looking at you, John, and you don't seem stressed about it. Although, like a duck on water, you're like gliding across the water, <laughs> and yet those, you know, you're you're paddling like crazy down below, right? Yeah, that's what I'm hearing you say. So, I mean, totally. I, I don't I don't want to equate like my colleagues with kids, but I, I think what I've learned with my my own kids who are now. Uh, 13 and 11, and this is particularly when, when they were younger, is if I made a big deal out of something, they made a big deal out of it. I, if agree I you know, when I, at work, if I'm making a big deal about something and saying it's the end of the world and it's going to be awful, they're taking their cues from me. And if I don't project confidence and, and look, I don't, I don't believe, I don't know what your thoughts are on executive presence. I think it's a load of crap, um, yeah. but maybe that's a different podcast. Um, <laughs> but like, I'm, I'm open to, to my team and I say, Hey, like, what do we do? I don't know what to do here. What is like, I want to hear, I want people to be a part of the process. And I'm not just doing that to be cute or to like make people feel included. I'm doing it because there are a million different ways to approach problems or challenges yeah. or approaches. And I really want, I want the, I want the best ideas. I, I want, I often hear, you know, when I'm saying this is what we should do. Oftentimes people don't push back on that. They're like, okay, yeah. great. Let's do this. You're the leader. If you want to do it, let's do it. But if I create space and I'm authentic about kind of what I do know or what I don't know, or where I think our risks are and how do we solve this together? I find we get a much better product and it's like yes. better than I would do something if it was just me, which is like, ultimately when you talk about wanting to have impact in the world, like that's what you want. You want people being a part of it, thinking about how to solve it as opposed to me, like where I sit is where I stand. I only have one perspective and that's my experience. That's right. I can maybe like pretend to know Marisa, what your experience is or what your perspective is, but I don't, I haven't embodied that. And so for me to guess or to pretend like I know is 
is really naive. And so I, like, I'm really open about when I don't know something or when I'm like clueless about how to do this. And I think, I think it's kind of working out for me. Um, maybe ask my team, but I, I think yeah. for me, uh, that's how I lead. And I'm kind of like, this is who I am kind of take it or leave it kind of guy. I, so first of all, I, yes, yes, yes. On everything that you've said. <laughs> and if I think about the words executive presence, I hear you. I think it's just not a real term. We are no longer in the nineties, you know, <laughs> and there's, I think when there are still a lot of companies out there, let's just be clear where culture still equals the top and like the formality yeah. and the hierarchy, which is wild. But I do want to just take, flip that terminology a little bit, just reflect kind of what you're talking about. I would rather call it executive present. Yeah. Being mm. present for your people. I love that. The people and the community that you support, that you serve, right? I think about the role of a leader. I'm not here. I, you know, I'm the boss of all these people. No, your first responsibility as a leader is to support them. Yeah. You know, and to inspire confidence in them that they are capable of doing and thinking anything that that they want to do. And I think yeah. unlocking and giving that permission to just bring those ideas. I agree with you. You're defining inclusive behaviors. You are defining what it means to have a diverse culture, which then translates to a high performing culture. And I think people need to remember that because they go, oh, it's all these let's do all these nice things to be inclusive and to be diverse. Yes. And because right. it leads to a culture of performance and productivity, mm -hmm. which then drives the outcomes, whether it's a for-profit, not-for-profit company that you were working towards. So I love what you said and I agree with you. Um, and I know there are a, a couple of former teamies, although I call everyone teamies, if I'd work with them at one point in my career where I know that even like, the, the earlier in career when I'm like, what's going on? It's, it's a way for me to say hi, but I really want to know what's going on. Yeah. And like, they might have an idea about something and I'll be like, wow, that's really cool. Did you bring that up with somebody? Oh my gosh, get together, come back and tell me what y'all want to do about it. And they're like, really? Like, it's just one of those, <laughs> is this just a hello or do you really, do you, are you really interested? And by the way, yeah. So this whole executive present thing, but then going back to your vulnerability and being authentic with your people, when you come back and say, I don't even know what the answer is, but here's the problem. You know, I think I might've shared this in another conversation with another culture caster is that, um, you know, one of my team members who's known me for a long time, Mike Miller, and he's, you know, you know him. I love Mike. He, yeah. Mike. Yeah. He said, wow, you know, I've known you for decades. And he said, and you've completely evolved as a leader. You're still Marisa. You still have the style. But the fact that I would come back from board meetings or a performance conversation, a coaching with my CEO and say, oh my God, here is my development opportunity, right? Or mm. here's the feedback that I got, which was actually constructive feedback. Let's just say not all the goodness. It's like, oh, well, you could be doing this differently. Yeah. Yeah, this didn't land quite well. And I remember um, bringing it back to one of my first kind of first direct report meetings. And um, I learned this after the fact, right? They're just like, okay, so Marisa is coming to us and saying, she got this feedback on like, this did not land well and you need to do something differently about it. And I think what I said to the team was, the reason why I shared this with you is A, I need help. You know, B, 
if this feedback is directly from my CEO, our CEO, then while it's directly on my very specific leadership behavior or how I might've communicated something in a board meeting or whatever, it's a reflection of this team, Yeah. right? So he's gonna look at me and say, oh, we love all this good stuff, but Marisa needs to do this differently. Then I think it's, he's gonna think about my team in this way if I don't fix it, right? And it's my behavior, it's not about my team. But then I think there's something too where when you show that um, you are human, that people, if they are human too, they want to help, yeah. right? Yeah, totally. Anyway, you just reminded me of that. So, but so let's, I have let's a, talk. Oh, go ahead. I have, a, I, have a, I have a question for you because when I when we first met, I was just I saw you on stage. You were speaking, and I was like, I have to know this woman. Like, I just there was like this instant kind of curiosity, curiosity and interest in like hearing your story and and getting to know you. And we were just lucky enough to have dinner together uh, yeah. that night. And the thing that I was just so struck is that you come across so confident, so like the fullness of yourself. And I would love, yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of the things that I'm really attracted to people like that. Of Like, how do I, cause, cause I struggle with that, you know, coming okay. out and really. And so I would love to know like your experience around just kind of being fully you in the fullness of who you are. And it's like so magical and amazing. Um, but I think people really struggle with that. And I think it's it's yeah. challenging for people to walk in the fullness of who they are at times, particularly, you know, as, as a woman or as someone who's underrepresented in board meetings. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, so, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I think you and I kind of got into this conversation a little bit when we were at that dinner. And that was a huge table. But, you know, it was really just a conversation with the three or four of us sitting down and, um Although I think team members will say, oh, you've always been Marisa, you know, either early in your career since I've known you and later, I will tell you a lot of what you describe behind the scenes, right? Where it's like not feeling enough, good enough, experienced enough, knowledgeable enough, knowing people enough, all of that. And I think it comes with, um, and, and I write about this. One thing someone coached me on this week that I met, they're like, you're writing a book. You need to tell people that you are, first of mm -hmm. all, because they're going to want to read it. But I think about, um, it is about doing the work. And I know you and I have talked about this too, right? Because I love that you're a coach. And I think it is about recognizing all of those experiences. I would say more of the negative ones mm -hmm. that, um, that really solidified, created who I am. You know, I think about growing up, you know, born and raised in East LA. I'm proud to say I'm a first generation American. We moved away from the suburbs, you know, when we were adolescents. And um, kids made fun of me because I was different. And there's two ways you can go with that, right? You can always be the victim and you can mm -hmm. always go, kids are going to make fun of me. And it wasn't just once they made fun of me. There was like, you know, getting near that, uh, used to that community and having that stuck with you. And I think maybe you and I talked about this. When something happens to you at that definitive age and you just shared that with us, you know, your definitive age story, like that can carry, you can carry that with you for a long time. And to me, it was all about the superficial kids yeah. made fun of my image, right? It was all about, ha, 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 I don't know what you're wearing. That's a really stupid dress, which was a dress that my aunt sent from the Philippines. We didn't have a whole lot of money, but let me tell you, no one else was wearing that dress. So, <laughs> ha, ha, on you. Not that I said that. Um, but whether I was wearing that, you know, that I had dark skin, and I, I think I've shared this before too, when I was in junior high, this is stupid, but back then there, we were kids, in junior high, my, my eighth grade nickname was Bubbles because I had really big lips. Mm -hmm. 
what the hell, right? And <laughs> and my best friend, blonde hair, blue eyes, we would walk around together and they'd go, oh, and there's the boat driver. Why? Because Marisa's fresh off the boat. She just got to this country. And so, I mean, I'll, I'll, share, I'll share that. And I think, you know, to overcome that and go, you know what? These kids are pointing out things that make me very different. And instead of saying, I'm going to figure out how to assimilate, because by the way, that pops up again early in career, especially, right. you know, decades ago when I started my career where being a female, being underrepresented or a person of color, what they're wanting to teach you, and I write about this too, as a definitive moment in my career, is um, they teach you how to assimilate, right? Here's how you fit in, and here's the language you speak, and here's how you should dress, right? I won't name the company, but it was like the company pretty profile, seriously, yeah. right? There's a vocabulary where you speak like a robot, and then there's like a certain way that you look. And even my friends back then were like, yeah, you can do that, but you're sparkly. Like you, and you have like this thing. And so I think, again, it's doing the work and first of all, recognizing all those moments. And I think it's those, um, I think, while there's been a lot of joy, I mean, a lot of joy in family and life and general and some success that has come with that, I think it's the hard times, whether it's yeah. the negative defining moments where it's like, all right, well, what am I going to learn from that? And how am I going to really recognize who I am and always do that, right? Like always show up as who I am. And I will tell right. you, moving into senior roles, you know, I think about, um, and I see that Jason's on here also, former culture caster. And uh, CEO at his company right now. We used to work together. I remember when I first showed up at um, the first company that we worked with, and you know, there's a bunch of dudes on the leadership team. I was the first female. I happen to be a person of color, and you know, I think you see how I roll in terms of like how I show up. And I remember the two things that I got on the way in. One was um, they were so protective of their culture. And I think a lot of special companies are, I mean, have unique cultures that they sent me to this all day, that they said to everyone who's in a VP and above, either promoted or, you know, hired from the outside, not a lot came from the outside, to go to this um, detailed psychological kind of study where they like back then FedEx these tests, but then you had to FedEx it back the next day. Like they gave you a day to do like three or four tests, which took me like six hours to complete. It wasn't like, I'm just going to pencil with this. Like I had to go through. Now you can do all that online. But back then they said right. everything to me. Yeah. And then like, the, I, then I flew out the next week and these um, organizational psychologists spent time with me saying X, Y, and Z about me, put me in a room, brought me back in. Like they were assessing me, right? Am I a fit for the culture? And then um, I passed that test and I was meeting with the president of this company that I eventually went to go work for. And he's like, here's the deal with you. Everyone loves you, you know? Um, and he and he's just like, everyone loves you, but, and I'm like, okay, well, what's, what's the big but, right? I didn't mean to say it that way. And he said, <laughs> he, he said, you know, but your communication style is confrontational for this culture. Mm. And he goes, and I don't under even, I don't understand what that means, that's what came back from the psychologist, kind of like the call out. And I think what that really translated to is, look, I'm gonna tell you exactly what I think. I'm gonna do it in a very respectful way. 
you know, I don't think I come in and steamroll people, but I think, uh, you know, I've worked in many organizations, actually most of them where I've joined, where it's this passive aggressive, you know, how there's a meeting and then afterwards there's another meeting. <laughs> so we talk about the meeting. Totally. I mean, oh my gosh. I never said that. And I think for me, it's just about calling it out. Yeah. And so um, I think I share that story with you. Like I could be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't join this company because that was their very narrow perspective of my communication style. But then the second thing, the second thing was um, my partner at the time was like, hey, yeah, I mean, I've, everyone loves how you roll. You know, I was most recently at Red Bull before then and anything goes there, they're like, yeah, you may need to tone it down. You just got this feedback about your communication style and like you're going in working with a bunch of dudes, right? Like very experienced. I mean, don't get me wrong. The founders were just epic and like amazing people. And I still keep in touch with them. Um, but it's like they are they dress conservatively. You're working in the middle of the country. Maybe you need to tone it down. And I'm like, all right, if I can't be me, then I then totally. and I kind of going back to what you said, you know, a personal value is actually believing in myself yeah like who else is going to do it unless mm -hmm. you do it right and so i'm like all right well what does that mean because i'm not all of a sudden going to show up to work like they did in right. like khakis and a blazer <laughs> it's just not going to happen by the way i, I couldn't see that i would no, no, do no, you no. even own khakis in a blazer is that even possible um i do own fun blazers um and khakis i own pants that have a lot of zippers on them that are maybe khaki colored but anyway um but i think about like maybe tone it down i know i'm going really rambling on this but i, I felt like if i can't be me then maybe this is the wrong organization right and i remember having a conversation with the ceo right before i took the job offer and again one of these i'm sure those out there who are uh, who are listening he's like here's the deal it's down to you and this other guy right and it's like the first time they've ever hired you know, a, a real head of HR reporting to the CEO of the company. And he's like, he has a ton of retail experience. You do not, you know, he was like comparing me against this guy. I'm like, well, this is a unique interview tactic, right? <laughs> and then I go, well, here's the deal. I've met with everyone on the senior leadership team. And, you know, this company became overnight, doubled its size. They're bringing two brands together um, and they wanted someone to come in to help not only bring the best of both together, but then actually build out an HR function, which we didn't have, it was benefits, compensation, recruiting, right? Bring all that together. And I said, I also think what you're looking for is something different, new innovation to really grow this company. And quite frankly, I don't know that retail is the place where you're gonna find that. Mm -hmm. I don't think you are, you know? And I kind of said, and he said, oh, and this guy's local, you're not, you would have to move here. And I just said, if you want to go with more of the same of what is happening in retail today, which in every conversation you and I've had, um, it sounds like you're wanting to do something very different and you want someone to come in with, you know, deep background in HR and organization development and compensation and all of that um, to change everything, to transform this organization. I don't think nothing against this guy. I don't know who he is. I don't think you're going to find anyone in retail who can help you do that. And I'm like, he's probably going to invite me out of his office or we're going to continue to have a conversation. <laughs> and so, again, that's an example of just showing up with what I think. And, you know, the conversation then continued on for another hour. And then no surprise, I got the offer. No surprise, I got there. And it, by the way, it wasn't like roses and like a party all the time. 
when I got there, like, you know, early, early days, the first, the first year that I was there, you know, we all first, the first time the leaders got 360 feedback and the open feedback that we all got, mine was interesting, right? The one that came back on me, which I still remember to this day, someone wrote in my 360 open comments. They said, did you see what Marisa wore on stage at the oh district God. manager's conference? And okay. I remember this outfit, you know, it was like this wash satin red dress. It went right at my knees, a black cardigan, you know, a little thin belt. Um, and then, you know, these black Christian Louboutin heels. I mean, I can't help that I love those heels. <laughs> I know no one else was wearing that outfit because, you know, they were all dudes. They were dudes wearing their khakis and their blazers, right? And so the fact that someone wrote that as feedback, and, you know, part of it is, yeah, uh, read the room, right? But when the room is a lot of men as well, yeah. I'm just saying, it's not like I was going to a club and I was wearing this, you know, <laughs> stupid outfit, you know, not appropriate for the work environment. But it was actually something that I felt, I'm going to rock this. It's professional. I feel really great about it. I love red. You know, I love color. And um, I don't know. So going back to a very long-winded answer of, gosh, really be clear on who you are, mm. you know, what you stand for, do the work, you know, because it's not automatic. You know, you and I talked about, um, and I want to get into this with you because you're in this coaching, coaching world as well, that it's not only just acknowledging that something negative or could feel like heartbreaking or the world is falling apart for me, you know, like whatever those experiences are, yeah. you need to actually just confront it, right? Whatever it is. And especially at a time of transition. And I think about, you know, for me, it was a big deal. I, I left this, again, everyone were like, what do you mean you left your last company, right? And they're like, wow, that's a big change and, and all of that. And you know what? Yes, it is. And you have to come complete with it. And yeah. what I mean by coming complete is like acknowledging all of the feelings, good and bad, right? About whatever that instance was. And I'll talk about, you know, that transition, do the work, right? Yeah. And really get clear about where you sit with that and then like park it because then that becomes who you are, right? And right. then that gives you, I, I, it's like even it's, it's liberating, right? Once you do that work, I think it's liberating for, and keeps you open. And again, going back to your energy and the goodness for what's next. So anyway, I just said a lot. Um, <laughs> you said so many good things though. I mean, I think there's so much yeah. that I got out of here that my top three things that okay. I got out of, of what you said. One is you were talking about um, kind of when you were talking to the CEO of this company, basically you said like, what got you here won't get you there. Yeah. And I think as leaders, you know, when we're kind of leveling up and we're trying to do something different or new, the same stuff that has always worked for us in the past is not necessarily going to help us get to, to the next thing. And so like constantly thinking about where am I at? What does this next, next level require me? What's serving me? What's not serving me? Super important. Um, I also love what you talked about in terms of getting complete. Yeah. Um, I don't know about you, but I have spent many a year arguing with someone in my shower, like having a conversation and being all like, but I said this and you know, like I think of, I'm not a very like quick witted person. So like all of my like ding dings come like way after the yeah. fact. So like, I'll think about a conversation or a thing like three or four years ago and be like, ah, I should have said that. And one that like doesn't serve anybody, you know, it's like a huge waste of like 
energy, it's stagnant, it kind of stifles us, it, it, it diverts our energy to what it should, what we should be focusing on, which is like the present or the future. Yeah. Um, and so getting complete and sort of, I think for me, getting complete starts with acceptance. I know that like all of my, when I'm not in ex- acceptance of something, I spent a lot of time resisting it, wishing yeah. things were a different way, hoping things would get better instead of just saying, hey, this is the way this is. And what can I do differently? You know, I'm in control of this situation, basically. How I, how I behave or how I kind of what I do is going gonna, is gonna to make a shift. And then the, the last thing is, you know, really not being a victim. And obviously there are people in this world who, who are victims, right? There, there are horrible yeah. things that happen in the world. Right. But having, you know, a hard conversation or, ha- you know, having something get done to us, that's not like a huge T trauma, you know, living in that victim mentality is again, like a huge waste of energy and time. And so really thinking about shifting our mindset and kind of being proactive and in owning the fact that you can create your own reality just by shifting your mind, just by saying, Hey, this is What's the benefit of this feedback? You were talking about feedback yeah. saying, okay, what's good in this feedback? What's bad in this feedback or what's not true? Or maybe just one person's opinion, but taking that on and saying, okay, these are the parts that are, I think are right on and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z to be able to, to change it as opposed to feeling injured or right. kind of really, you know, defensive about when people give me feedback. I, I love feedback. I don't always agree with it, but I love yeah. when people give it to me because then that, that shows me one there's a real thing I need to work on or there's a perception challenge where there's something, there's something that's lost in communication or there's something that I'm not seeing from their perspective that I need to address. Yeah. I, it's almost worse when it's a perception challenge, I think, totally. like, because yeah. then it's not having that awareness of how people experience you. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I'm glad that you reflected on that. I, I agree with you. Thank you for breaking that down. And <laughs> one thing I always say too, that I learned early on in my assimilation training um, at one company, but I, I still take it with me and I use it today even is, you know, it's not the stimulus, it's a response. Yes. And it's, you know, people are going to come at you. They may, whatever, right. Give you feedback. But at the end of the day, you can control and choose how you're going to respond. And yeah. then that's when you show up. Right. And mm-hmm. again, going back to kind of going back to what you said, doing all the work, especially if you have feedback or was it not a, a, a capital T trauma situation, but also allow yourself to have all the feels, right? All right. the feelings, good and bad. And then, and then really just understand that. And then what do you do with it? Right. Moving yeah. on. So, yeah, I mean, oh my gosh, I didn't realize we'd go down this path, but I'm loving this <laughs> conversation. Um, before we go into coaching, so I want to get into like how you ended up moving into that space while you are the COO at the one campaign. I know there are a lot of people who had reached out who were like super fired up when they saw that you were going to be my next guest. Let's talk about, okay, what are the big priorities on your radar right now that, you know, your organization is working on and what's a way that people who are listening, watching this conversation, how can they get engaged and be involved? Yeah, that's, that's awesome. So uh, as the CEO, I'm really focused on the day-to-day operations of the company and making sure that we are fit for purpose and we're able to achieve our mission. We have a really audacious mission, which is to end extreme poverty by 2030. Uh, that's just a few years away, and COVID has re- just, just a few yeah. years away. Just I a mean, really minor, minor task. Extreme to do. poverty, right? <laughs> 
um, and you know, COVID really pushed uh, those projections um, way back, and we've made a lot of we've done a lot of backsliding yeah. in terms of progress. And you know, when you think about the impact on the economy, on health, on education, all of those things have an impact on. Um, dignity and opportunity uh, when you're in a developing country or you're even in the States, even developed countries. So inside the organization, you know, we're continuing to really think about what's our best approach for culture inside the organization. We have a hybrid work policy um, where people, you know, can work from home most of the time and come in a few days a week. Yeah. It's based on teams. You know, I'm, I'm a part of a global team. So my team is spread out through all of our nine country offices um, we have some people who are country teams. So like our French team, they come in and, and they're doing advocacy. So there's communications and policy and government relations. And they tend to like be in the office more, uh, than other teams because I'm on a zoom call all day talking yeah. to people in Africa and France and Washington and other places. And so I'm really thinking about that. What is the next kind of level? You know, what do we, how do we continue to keep our culture really strong and vibrant. Yeah. We're a real values-based organization. So how do those values get uh, kind of ingrained and really kind of espoused in our, our new hires when they're not going in the office and they don't see everyone and they're not building those relationships. So that's like a, a real priority for me. We're also, you know, really creating lots of efficiencies in some of our spending. So we are uh, kind of rethinking how we spend our resources, you know, as a nonprofit, we live off of the donations and the generosity yeah. of others. So we're really good stewards. So we think about, you know, is this product or is this thing fit for purpose or helping us be yeah. fit for purpose? And so there's a lot of that sort of stuff happening, which I find incredibly exciting. A lot of my colleagues are like, the CRM, what? Um, <laughs> uh, I love a good CRM. So I'm, um, right? that's one of the things we're doing. Um, and externally, you know, we are, again, uh, focused on things like reforming multilateral development banks. So these are the big banks like the World Bank, African Development Bank, regional banks that exist to help lending. Yeah. You know, Africa uh, is, you know, in a, in a debt crisis. Uh, we're seeing high levels of debt like we, we've seen um, before. That's only been exacerbated by, you know, things like COVID and, and the, yeah. the lending that's happened. We're also working a lot on sort of resilience. So that's things like climate food security and that sort of thing. And so if people want to get involved, we really believe in, uh, as an advocacy organization, people's voices being heard. So we don't, we don't have a donate button on our website. We say we're asking for your voice and not your money. So you can sign up at one.org to be an activist, to, to kind of send a letter to your representative. Uh, like I said, we have offices in nine countries uh, in the US, Canada, France, Germany, the UK, and in Brussels. And then we have offices in Africa where we also mobilize people to hold um, their, their government accountable. And so that's the main way to get involved, you know, to, to, to be an advocate and to sign up to campaign for uh, the ending of extreme poverty and preventable disease. In the US, I'll say one of the things that we're working on is there's this really great government program called PEPFAR. Okay. Which is, is, a, is the president's uh, plan to end AIDS, basically. It was started by George W. Bush. President Obama kind of re further reinforcement enforced it. And it's currently up for reauthor reauthorization in the U.S. Congress. And so making your voice heard on that, there's a place on our website to get involved if you wanted to host something or to write a letter or to call your, 
your representative or your senator. Like those are the ways that we really um, are asking people to be engaged and to partner with us Love it. around this work. Yeah. Excellent. Um, and then just repeat for me, the, is it one.org that we need to go to? We yeah. Wanna, okay. o, o, O-N-E, just okay. the, 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 the word one, uh, O-N-E.org. Perfect. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Um, an amazing, an auspicious goal to end poverty by 2030. I mean, yeah. And I love too about the advocacy part. And I, and I love this, right? It is about you want to hear everyone's voices. And then mm-hmm. in sharing your voice, you're actually amplifying it for those who can't. Totally. Right? Yes. Right? That's 100%. what you're saying. I love it. So yes. that's a call to action for anyone who I know is like, I want to listen to John and see what they're working on and how can I be part of this? All right, let's pivot. I know we've got like, you know, seven minutes until the top of the hour. All right, where did you find the time and how did this kind of coaching aspect of your life occur? Like, tell me about that and yeah. what's going on. Okay, so uh, it was late 2019. I was the chief of staff at one and I found myself in a really stuck place at work. Um, I had been stuck before. I'd been stuck for like a week or a few weeks. Uh, But in the end of 2019, in pretty much the first half or so of 2020, I was really stuck. Um, My job was kind of changing without a lot of intention. It wasn't like an intentional shift in my job, but like I had been supporting the COO at the time with some initiatives and she had finally built up this really strong team. So like I was involved as much in ops as I was before. And, you know, that was a, there's a very natural shift. Uh, then in the beginning of COVID and the year we COVID happened. And so as a chief of staff, my job was really to like be eyes and ears on the ground and kind of have a finger on the pulse and really difficult when you're not traveling yeah. to offices, when you're oh. not in offices, when you're basically on Zoom calls like nine, 10 hours a day. Um, and I just couldn't get unstuck. Like I, I, I didn't have the tools or the resources to like find a way out. I had tried, I had, I've, I had tried and I just could not do it. And so I was like, I, I need help. And I think I need help is like one of the most redeeming things that, that any of us can say because we all need help. Yeah. And to say that you don't, uh, it's, it's really just not true. And I found that the more I say I need help, um, the more help I get and the kind of the easier things become. So I'm a big believer in help. I have a therapist and I hired a coach. They're, they're different things. They work on yeah, different things. Totally. And, um, and this coach in three months of my engagement with him totally changed my life. Uh, I was very much acting like the victim in a situation that I wasn't. Um, I didn't feel like I had agency um, and I was very disempowered. And that engagement gave me tools and resources and really a different way to think and to, you know, we talk about in coaching content in context. Content is like the stuff that's happening in our lives. It's like this, this culture cast, this conversation, Context is like the lens through which I'm viewing it. Like what's happening? How am I feeling about it? How am I, how am I interpreting Marisa's questions yeah. towards me? Is, is, it, is it friendly? Is it antagonistic? Is it, you know, whatever. Um, and that distinction, like just really helped me see things so differently. And so much so that I was like, this is what I want to do with my life. Like I, in three months, my life was changed and I want to wow. do that with other people. 
And, and so I took a year long coaching program. I got certified, I got credentialed and on the side, in addition to doing this great work at one, um, I'm growing my coaching business. And so I really want to help other executives and senior leaders and emerging leaders to break away from the inertia of life. I don't know. I, I talk about inertia a lot because yeah. in life, it just, if you're not intentional, you can go by days, weeks, months, years. And yep. like, you're like, where did my life go? Why am I still in this situation? Why am I still in these patterns? And, and I found myself there for so long that like very deep, uh, kind of a, a rut in, in my life around the way I was thinking and behaving about things that just weren't serving me anymore. And so if coaching could do that for me, like coaching could do that for anyone, as long as you're willing and open. And I just, I found so much like passion and joy and interest in working one-on-one -on -one with people, working with organizations. And so, yeah, that's what I've been doing. And I have some clients and I'm, I'm uh, you know, putting out content. I've taken a little bit of a break from LinkedIn. And so uh, this month was like, after I got this house and, and we moved, I was like, this is the time to really start putting some, some stuff out there again. So that's my, that's my coaching. Story. Oh my goodness. I love it. And then how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in working with you or just curious about how, what the coaching executive coaching life coaching processes? Yeah. You can look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, you can DM me on LinkedIn and we can schedule a time to chat, but you know, I'm really, I really want to work with people who are serious about doing the work. Yeah. And, you know, my process is all about like really getting clear on what you want, getting clear on what's on, what's in the way and creating a support and structure and accountability to help you get to where you want to go. And, um, you know, that, that worked really well for me and through this coaching process that I was trained in, it, you know, it's been pretty effective for the, the clients that I work with. Oh my gosh. I mean, even that whole gem in the last few minutes about asking for help. I mean, that, that advice goes such a long way. I agree with you. We all need it. And if you don't think you don't, need, you don't need help, um, it's not true. I don't think it is. And I think yeah. again, it's that it still comes full circle to what you're all about, which is this energy, right? I think mm. it's this goodness that you put out in the world. And even when you're not feeling so good, I think that even lifts you up because I think people around you, if you ask for help, if you're on that other side of it, where I'm not feeling so good, can I be spread some goodness today? that I think they, there's a way of life happening where people totally. circle back uh, and lift you up, right? I love that, totally. OMG. Well, I mean, <laughs> we are coming at the top of the hour. Everyone knows John Spears. Find him on LinkedIn. Um, DM him directly. And also share your voice, right? Help elevate mm. the voices of others who can't. And check out O1E. Or, yeah, o1e.org, one.org, um, to find out how you can specifically use your voice to create power for others who just don't have it. Um, mm. So that we can all be part of ending poverty by 2030. I mean, that's, that's a very auspicious goal. <laughs> it <laughs> um, is, it is. Yeah, and I am so sad that we're at the top of the hour because I can just, again, all day long, my friend, I feel the you. same way. Totally. I mean, seriously. Totally. And so um, thank you everyone for joining our culture cast. I think John did such a great job calling mm. out some key kernels and nuggets from, you know, our conversation, which was amazing. So thank you. And for everyone else, um, 
we will see you on the next culture cast. I believe the next one is next Tuesday on June 20th, 11 a.m. Pacific time with Erica Keswin. And she just wrote a book called The Retention Revolution. So let's talk about a new way of thinking about that employee-employer relationship and how to really unlock retention for companies. So with that, everyone, so good to see you all. Mm -hmm. So good to see you, John. We are going to end this broadcast now. Love you, and I will talk to you soon. Bye. All right.